The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Welcome to episode 31 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. The podcast where we re-examine the comics of the 1990s through the pages of Wizard Magazine. I'm Michael. And tired of writing punny introductions for myself, I'm Steven. So now here's something funny about this episode. When Adam put together our show schedule, he dubbed this episode Kennedy's Revenge. Why? We have no idea. You still don't know idea. Do you know why? I have no, no idea. I have no clue <laughs> but so, i think i'm gonna just lean into it and go all the way because i don't know what the hell we're talking about that's here. what i'm thinking i think we make that the theme of today's episode and let's just see how it plays out kennedy's revenge i don't know what's gonna happen you yeah. don't know what's gonna happen you can decide not to talk about anything in the book i could just say all night and i don't give a <laughs> and adam made this possible so thank you adam yes so you know adam did preface this that he said if we wanted to get drunk during this podcast to do so so i had a bottle of uh one of my favorite liquors and i don't drink a lot of liquor i drink mostly wine a little bit of beer here and there but i have um van gogh makes a double espresso vodka and so it tastes like espresso but it's vodka and I like to make it on the rocks with like a, like usually either like a, like a dark chocolate milk or something like that. And I make it a little bit, you know, granola because I don't, cause I'm not a meat eater, so I drink like almond milks and oat milks. So uh, <laughs> I had I had almond milks. So I have like a my version of like a, a white Russian. So it's almond milk and Van Gogh double espresso vodka, and it's a large glass. <laughs> Holy cow, that's like a Dunkin' Donuts uh, to-go cup. Yeah, we're going to get turnt tonight. Well, I'll so, tell you what, around uh, after the letters section, I will take a beer break. Okay, that's Just to join good. you. Okay, cool. And so I can start slurring my words early. Oh, this is going to be slur fest. Oh, because once I start, I'm not, I'm not a big drinker, but I'm one of those people that when I do have a little bit more than like a drink, mm-hmm. my words tend to fumble over one another. So we'll see how this comes out more like verbal diarrhea than a podcast. Well, so, I am I for one am excited. So oh, let's see. You're you're a, you're a lucky man this evening. So <laughs> issue 31 had two alternate covers. One is a three-page foldout with characters from the Legend imprint including Hellboy, Concrete, Martha Washington, and Rusty the Boy Robot. The other is a painted cover of Lobo. So I tracked this thing down and I got on eBay the the trifold cover. And truth be told, other than Hellboy, I did not know who any of these people were. They look similar or familiar to me in, in a lot of ways. But beyond Hellboy, I had no clue who any of these people were. Yeah, like, so when I bought this cover, you know, in 1994, I did buy the Lobo cover. I don't know if I had a choice or if my local comic shop just had the Lobo cover, but that's the one I had. And when I repurchased it on eBay to talk about for this episode, I did also buy the Trifold Legend cover. You know why? Uh, It was much cheaper than the Lobo cover. (laughs) 
That was probably the big reason. Same content, just much cheaper. I yeah. recognized Concrete and that big robot. I, For whatever reason, I thought that big robot was from Madman, but I was completely wrong. Uh, is that Marv from Sin City on the front as well? It does look like Marv from Sin City, but I thought that was... Wasn't that Image, though? Or wasn't it like, no, Vertigo? You might be right there, so... Maybe it was Dark Horse. Who the hell knows? I, I think I think I thought it was was Vertigo, but I'm not really sure. And it was after like um, Sin City came much later than this. I thought as well. No, because he talks about it in this. Oh, he does. Okay, Frank Miller maybe, does talk about it. So maybe it is more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough about Sin City, and it's funny you bring that up. I was going through all my old DVDs the other night, and. In my deluxe edition of Sim City, I opened it, and you know what it comes with? Volume one of Sim City, the complete book. Really? Yeah, and I bought the book years later to have <laughs> it, not realizing that I had a copy of it in my basement in a box because I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, once again, for whatever reason, I only worked at Midtown Comics for six weeks, but it keeps coming up on this show. I was there when Sin City was coming out and they had like a crew screening or an employee screening for the Midtown Comics employees. I was not invited because I was still a trainee, but <laughs> they had all, new. I was too new, but they had all these posters that they were just giving away and every nerd there was taking the Jessica Alba poster. Of and course. so I got the Bruce Willis poster and I was excited. I was a big fan of Bruce Willis. It's a really cool poster. Do you so still have I got poster? to take home. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't Damn. still have it. Damn. Sorry. I would have taken that off your hands for you if you didn't want it. <laughs> I honestly, until this very moment, haven't even opened the trifold. So I don't know what we're in store for in this book, which is not, you know, off brand for me. But, you know, <laughs> figured I was going to lean into this even harder. But we're going to be like this Kinetti's revenge idea where I just don't know what the hell's going to happen. I'm going to kind of let it all fly as it happens. So. This is truly Kinetti's revenge. Damn right. So. Let's take a moment and dive into Willie Lumpkin's mailbag. So first, the beef continues this month in Wizard with uh, all eyes on McFarlane. So Stephen, what do we have as his first letter? Well, first of all, I was too lazy to put this in the transcript because it's so long. So I'm just going to read it straight from the magazine and let's see how that goes. It says, gentlemen, sad, truly sad that my dissertation on paralogia in parentheses, false illogical thinking at the comic fest debate was understood by everyone in the room, judging by the audience reaction, except for the person at whom it was aimed, again, parentheses, judging by Todd McFarlane's latest foray into opinion writing. Todd challenged me to a debate because of my alleged lies about image. I accepted the challenge. I debated him. I won, proving his charges groundless. I ran a cartoon in my column, commenting on the debate, illustrated by the man Todd picked to moderate the debate. And Todd's response, in essence, yeah, well, Spina sells sex and violence. So there, pathetic that a man who insisted ad nauseum that image is not simply about making money, immediately falls back on bragging of his comics, undisputed, profit-making prowess. If money is so irrelevant to Todd, why on earth does he keep bringing up his skills at making it? 
depressing that a man who several months ago labeled his pigs those who are st- starting this gluttonous market now boasts of the benefits he has reaped from rolling in the mud of multi-issue speculating. Parentheses. Oh, I forgot. That's been redefined. Pigs are now people who are ignorant of Jack Kirby. If ignorance connotes swinehood, Todd McFarlane could be the National Park Association poster boy. End parentheses. I mean, Todd McFarlane doesn't seriously think all those issues of Spawn are being read, does he? Mm, you have a point there. Bizarre that he imagines Spawn and Saxon violence are remotely geared for the same audience. Todd has repeatedly stated that he aims for a readership of 12-year-olds. That's fine. But Saxon violence, with its nudity, profanity, and depiction of sexual situations, is intended mostly for the 21 and older set. Since, for example, we're exposing them to phrases of greater intensity than caca. <laughs> Lamentable that a man who once said he does not define personal success by the number of copies sold trots out his own sales figures whenever he has no relevant retort. That, unfortunately, is typical paralogia. Paralogia, according to any medical encyclopedia, is sometimes described as pre-logical or paleological thinking, since the thought processes are similar to those found in primitive man. On this theory, it represents a regression to the stage in human development when the mind was dominated by feelings and perceptions rather than by logic and reasoning. Now or even, no, Todd. No, I'm afraid we will never be, as you say, even. Two things apparently will forever separate us. A, sales, and B, over 300,000 years of evolution. Signed, Peter David. Okay, so I'm looking at this issue. It is March 1994, which is kind of ironic because this episode is going to premiere in March, which is pretty interesting. You know, it's kind of, you know, kismet in that way. But I'm looking at it by date only. So March 1994, I was almost 12 years old. And if I saw a letter in the letter section that long, I would have gotten through the first paragraph and said, I don't (laughs) care about these grown men having a (laughs) test. I really don't. And I love Peter David. I think he's great. A lot of things he says, in essence, are true. But it's just like today, people going back and forth on Twitter about God knows what nonsense or ideology or politics or whatever they are, you know, fighting with one another about. No one cares. No one cares. I do think that it's funny in the sense that McFarlane's touting, you know, how much money Spawn is making. I would like to see a like a diagram of all the different things coming out in image how much of that pie is spawn and all the rest of the image titles what they're actually bringing in which is probably very little because most of these books in my opinion suck whoa okay first of all i will defend the long letter because we grew up in a time when there wasn't that much entertainment there was no internet where you could read these opinions. When I got an issue of Wizard Magazine, I read it for years because <laughs> I just had nothing else to do. What I else guess. was I going to do? How many times could I watch the same episode of Three's Company? So <laughs> I enjoy diving into this. Peter David, to me, comes off like that kid who got beat up a lot. Right. Like me. And his response was to become super intelligent and insult his bullies when... That would just make them punch him harder because that's what they always do. 
Right. You can't outsmart a bully. And, you know, Todd's coming off like a bully in some of these articles, as he's saying, and mm. calling people pigs. So, yeah, it's uh, it, once again, we're airing a lot of beef in these in these magazines. But it's it's one of those cases where it's like, if I'm Peter David, why wouldn't I just want to be the bigger person? It's one of those things where if someone is picking on you, but then you start screaming louder mm-hmm. and other people notice that you're the one throwing a temper tantrum and screaming, you tend to look like the bad guy. I can see that. And, you know, is this just for show? Is this just I think it's for show a publicity thing? Or are they just trying to poke at each other for fun? Are they really friends? I, I think maybe it's a little bit of like animosity, but I think part of it is for show to sell books. Okay, because I mean they did they did did just have like that which they referred to the debate at Comic Fest. So is that part of it? Because clearly, if they're having a debate in public, there's at least some they could be in the same room with each other. You know, yeah, not, you know, they don't they don't hate each other, right? They're not Martin and Lewis. So. <laughs> It's a fair point. But yeah, I mean it's a it's an interesting letter. It's very, very long, but it's it's fine. You know, it's it's it just I don't like when I see grown men bitching at each other for no apparent reason. There's a lot of that in Wizard, and even in this issue, there's a lot of that. People, you know, these comic book creators not caring what they say or how they come off and just insulting other comic book creators and other comic book labels. I don't know. Different All time. Right. Yeah, I guess so. Um, All right, so the second letter says, in a follow-up to the drama between Valiant and Barry Windsor Smith, we get a letter from Windsor Smith's lawyer, Harry M. Miller II of West Hollywood, California. This lays out in painstaking detail the offers that Valiant made to Barry and the reasons why he turned them down. Yikes. This is never ending. Yeah, we're back to it in this next issue. The lawyer is now involved. It's like, really? Is this is that what the letter says, the whole thing? I mean, you can read the whole letter, but it's even longer than the Peter David letter. So oh, I just for, thought I'd sum it up. Forget it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> and it's really in the weeds of like comic book contracts and all that kind of stuff. Which again, if I was a 12-year-old kid... I would not care to read. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably skip that one. I'll be honest. Yeah. Okay, good. I, w- I would hope so. <laughs> okay. What's our next one? So letter number three is near and dear to my heart. It says, Dear Wizard, I am writing to implore all you readers of Alpha Flight to speak out and protest the cancellation of this comic. Despite all of its hardships in the past, Alpha Flight has greatly improved over the last year and has immense promise for the future. So I beg, please stop Marvel from canceling the only true Canadian superhero team. Please save Alpha Flight from Sandra Vezina of Sturgeon Falls, Ontario, Canada. Wizard's response, ignore Sandra. Alpha Flight sucked even when Byrne was doing it. Oh, ouch. <laughs> That's rough. This is some nonsense. That's I love rough. Alpha Flight. I'm a giant Alpha Flight fan. I liked Alpha Flight too. That was cool. I, like, come on. I'm, I'm dying for an Alpha Flight movie. Or, or even just TV like show. a, could you imagine like a Disney Plus, you know, nine episode miniseries? Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. With Wolverine coming in there. Oh, wow. That'd be really cool. You get some Sk- Sasquatch, you get some Puck, <laughs> North Star, Aurora. Come on, bring him in. I, I'm on board. I'm, I'm in. So letter number four says, Dear Wizard, when will Blue Beetle 
make the cover. Aaron Sams in Ganesh, Nova Scotia, Canada. A couple of Canadas. Interesting. So <laughs> the response to that by Wizard says, right after next issue's Alpha Flight cover. <laughs> Oof. That's rough. That literally means never, folks. <laughs> yeah, and and he does not, as far as I know. As far as well, not not too far into the future. Ted Cord gets killed. Is that what happened? Because I was out by that point. Yeah. So uh, Ted Cord gets his neck snapped by Max Lord. No, I'm sorry. Max Lord kills Ted Cord, and then Wonder Woman snaps Max Lord's neck and kills him. Ah. Uh. I loved Ted Cord as Blue Beetle. I love the Booster Gold Blue Beetle relationship. Me too. That would be such a cool movie. Yeah, it would. They were they were trying to do a CW TV show for a while called Blue and Gold, but it, it didn't didn't take, I don't think. It was gonna be Ted Cord? Yeah. Oh, that would have been awesome. Letter number five says, Dear Wizard, I'm a fifteen year old and I have been collecting this magazine for a while. I like articles and the art you put out. But Something was bothering me. How come you named this magazine Wizard, the Guide to Comics? Why not something like The Comic Magazine? Don't get me wrong, I like the name, but why Wizard? Richard Chung, Flushing, New York. Wizard's response, because Garib's brother Kenny said, You know, Wizard is a catchy name. How about Wizard Magazine or something? I forget who came up with the Guide to Comics part. (laughs) So this is pretty crazy. The the origin story of the wizard name in the pages. And there's no real origin story. It was just, eh, it sounded cool. So we went with it. So it's kind of funny. I have a friend who owns a post-production company. At one point, this is like 20 years ago, he, he, he basically said, if I were to ever start a company, I, I don't give a what I call it. I'll call it platypus for all I care. So about... 12 or 13 years ago, he started his own post-production company and named it Platinum Platypus. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had the right idea. He did. We should note, this is Pat McCallum's last go-round at Magic Words. Before I split this one last time, let me say it's really been a blast doing Magic Words for the past two years or so. You guys are the best, and I've enjoyed working on this column as much as you've enjoyed reading it. Adios. Pat McCallum. On behalf of the Wizards Podcast, we want to thank Pat for his snark, his humor, and of course, the fun he brought to the Magic Words section. So Stephen, what do we have in the Wizards News? So to start, the lead story in Wizard News is Shooter to Write Youngblood? With a question mark. It says, Youngblood creator Rob Liefeld and Defiant President Jim Shooter who made back-to-back appearances at the Mile High Comics Megastore in Anaheim have been seen hatching ideas Sources at Extreme Studios say. Now, we covered this a little bit in the Good Guys we did, uh, yes. review where they were doing a Good Guys book signing. So it, s- it says, as fans know, Liefeld had a guest appearance in Defiance Good Guys number one. Rumor has it that the two will work together on Youngblood when it returns as a monthly title this summer. Never happened. <laughs> this never, never, happened. never happened. Was it ever a monthly title? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. So, yeah. Pretty bad. Sorry. Sorry there, Rob. Oh, God. Uh, But, you know, of course, that's just par for the course. It's just kind of whatever. Rob Liefeld. Yeah. Young boy. I should also note that they do cover the the opening of the Good Guys comic where they brought in all those kids who. uh, That's kind of cool. 
yeah, who it was, uh, who they, like who like they won the contest. They based the characters on them. And one girl had been hit by a car. She had been hit by a drunk driver on the like a couple weeks before the event. No way. And so they didn't think she was going to be able to show up. And then she showed up at the event and it was like this big applause for her. So wow, that's cool. It sounds like an interesting event. That's interesting. All right. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. What do we have next? Next, we have Batman versus Punisher. So there's a rumor floating around that Batman will go against the Punisher in an upcoming crossover. Gary Guzzo, Marvel's publicist, says there is no truth to the rumor, but it doesn't mean that there won't be one someday. But if there is, it is far away. So really, Batman and Punisher Deadly Knights happened later this year. So they're <laughs> clearly lying to us. Yeah, clearly. Because I remember this book. I, I Yeah. <laughs> I remember one of the covers, like for number one, vividly in my mind. Well, not only that, it was the cover story of Hero Illustrated when it came oh. out. Oh. So if you read Hero, Hero Illustrated, you had a really cool Batman and Punisher cover. Mm. If that's your sort of thing. If, Maybe. Maybe. It only did run for 26 issues, so who knows? You might have missed it. I mean, sure. I just meant if Punisher and Batman teaming up is your sort of thing. It, it is It is a lot better than whatever the f*** this cover is. <laughs> Trifold, bunch of randos that nobody knows or cares about. Bunch other than... of randos. That's how you talk about concrete? Oh, yeah. Other than, Like I said, other than Hellboy, who at this point wasn't even that well-known because they didn't have a TV show or a movie or anything, but, you know, whatever. Maybe so. that's why I got the Lobo one. Probably, because nobody knew who these people were back then, unless you were, you know, deep in the weeds of independent companies. Yeah. Which I wasn't. I was not. The next thing is Spidey Magazine. Marvel Entertainment's Spider-Man Magazine, a new 32-page magazine aimed at children will make its debut in February. Each issue will include games, puzzles, jokes, and trivia. Monthly features will include Spidey's Amazing World of Nature. Ooh. Ooh, sign me up for that. A full-color photo complete with facts and figures to create your own superhero or supervillain. The magazine will be sold in stores everywhere. For a dollar ninety-five. Did you ever have a Spidey magazine? No, and I had no idea that it existed. Ne- I don't remember did seeing it ever. No idea. Never knew it existed. Never had a copy. This is totally like you know breaking news for me. Thirty some odd years later. <laughs> well, and I'm sure that you got like Disney Afternoon, the magazine or the Disney magazine that they would sell at the supermarket every once in a while. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. That was a big one. So I can see what they were trying to do with this, but I don't remember it at all. It's, this would be a Bob Winters question. If Bob Winters were here, he'd be able to answer it. Or or I'm sure Adam has at least a half a dozen copies of this in a long box somewhere in his house. I guarantee oh, you. Oh, my God. Adam knows who wrote, who was the editor-in-chief. <laughs> yeah. He's, he, got... <laughs> he's got an autographed cover of one of the copies. You know, <laughs> I saw he. I came into his office one day and he showed me all of them. I had a die cut background of all the covers. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the half issues, the ash cans, <laughs> the ones the that barely saw publication. <laughs> yeah, he's got sure. some that are filled out, some that aren't filled out. <laughs> exactly. Someone did the crossword on one. Anyway. It's sto- storyboards, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This We've is lost. 
now we've lost all control of this podcast already. We're we're literally twenty seven minutes in. Oh, okay. so so next we have uh, disabled comic collectors club. So thirty one year old Ken Johnston is organizing an international comic club for disabled comic collectors. Johnston, who has a plastic valve in his heart, says that the idea of starting a, a club struck him after seeing the pen pal section in Wizard: The Guide to Comics. Johnston recalls that he couldn't attend comic conventions immediately after his heart operation. He hopes that this club will allow disabled people who can make it to a show to get autographs and other convention premiums for home or hospital-bound friends. Johnson says, I wanted these guys to not feel alone. This is see, awesome. See, I really like this. This should have been more featured, and Wizard themselves should have been promoting stuff like this heavily going forward, because this is a very forward-thinking idea and it also, it's a great way to be inclusive because mm-hmm. one of the things about comics that if you aren't a nerd or avid reader, you you just think that comics are for nerds. But the intent behind col- comics is to be inclusive mm-hmm. and, and to try to get people to read and be entertained and take a journey into their imagination. And for those who may not have been able to back then, this is a, a novel idea, and I, I give Ken Johnson a, a lot of kudos for this. It's beautiful. You know, I, like I'm someone who has struggled with the issues of my foot for like most of my life. And as a kid, I struggled with it a lot. And I think I looked up to comic book heroes because they were able to control their bodies, you know, in any way they wanted to. They were all powerful, almost like the same way, you know, kids who sometimes have disabilities like wrestling. They like pro wrestling because those guys are like superheroes and they can do anything with their bodies. So I think it's very important to have people who, you know, who can't get the shows for various health reasons to have a, you know, a venue, an outlet for them to get these premiums like this guy is doing to feel like they're a part of it. Yeah. Ken Johnston is just it's a a heroic thing that he's doing. Absolutely. I I, I love it. I'm going to look him up on social media, see if he's still doing stuff like this. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I'd be very curious. So, Stephen, what is in our table of contents? So this is very exciting. They've been teasing this contest for months, but finally it's here. Michael, talk about a grand prize. Wizard and Kitchen Sing Press have joined forces to create what may be the most powerful giveaway in comicdom, a mint 1969 Chevrolet Camaro with an original melting pot image painted on the hood by the king of modern gothic, Simon Bisley, and melting pot creator, Kevin Eastman. This car can be yours if you answer three multiple choice questions on the entry form. Who who won this? Yeah. And what is a melting pot image? Melting pot is the comic book that they're promoting in this issue. Oh, God. Like, really? Like, okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah, it's a um, comic book hero created, uh, you know, by Kevin Eastman and Simon Bisley for what, Mirage what, Comics. What page is this on? It's like right after page like 28, 29. It's right after that. Okay. So let's see. All, right. all, all the questions are specific to the issue that they want you to buy. Oh, God. Well, I would definitely not know then. Lord Tyler first appears. Who the hell knows? I Who the hell is Lord Tyler? Um, well, here's the crazy thing about this trivia question or these trivia questions. It's multiple choice. So you have a pretty good odds of just guessing and yeah, getting I it mean, right. I mean, there's only three options for each one. I mean, 
Option C. Okay, well, all right. I'm going to read these questions out because now I'm fascinated by this whole thing. Lord Tyler first appears, A, on the streets of Hollyland or Holy, Holy Land. Land. All right, it's whatever. Give me a break. Holy, Holy Land. <laughs> <laughs> you guys hate me. You guys hate me so much. Adam, sa- Adam says to me all the time, I, I can feel it. So I was like, how was I so stupid to ask this f***ing guy to do a podcast with me? <laughs> he doesn't know about anything <laughs> b riding a giant bat or c in his girlfriend's underwear it's got to be a or b i'm gonna guess it's, i would say c is immediately eliminated for sure yeah. so you, right there you have two choices i would probably have to go with the more obscure of the two which is b riding a giant bat because it just seems like it's so out of left field that it would have to be the right answer in my opinion this is my SAT skills. Of, you know. Yeah, I might go with the, whole, the Holy Land. That's going to be my okay. guess. Okay, question number two. The gates of the Fortress Shantar are A, forged steel, B, replaced with a white picket fence, or C, breached by the prehistoric land whale. Hmm. I'm going to say C, Breached by a prehistoric land whale. I'm going to say forged steel. I'm going to go A number as, as well. Okay. All right. And uh, we'll never know the answers to this, and no one will ever care, so whatever. <laughs> but I almost want to tear this out and mail the sweepstakes back and just see who's working in this office now where Wizard used to be. I would love <laughs> to mail it and be like, wait, we got to give somebody a Camaro? Question number three. Simon Bisley and Kevin Eastman teamed up on an, another comic book for Kitchen Sink Press. It was The Spirit, Zenzopic Tales. Zenozoic? <laughs> Zenozoic, sure, okay. Zenozoic? Um, Maybe? Yeah, whatever. Like that. Whatever yeah. it is. Whatever. Project X. I thought this had trumps and, ga- and guts, but it's thumps and guts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to say The Spirit. I don't know. Spirit wasn't... Uh, I would go with B. B? Okay. That's my guess. All right. Well, we'll never know. And if if someone does know the answers to these questions, please tweet us at Wizards Comics and let us know the answers. I would love to know. But yeah. So that is the contest to win a custom Camaro, which is kind of cool if you ask me. It's pretty neat. Our first cover story... Taking care of business, Simon Bisley on Lobo, Melting Pot, and why he may need an editor. Okay, interesting. Here we go. A lengthy interview with Englishman Simon Bisley, best known for his kinetically violent artwork. After an incredibly successful run on Lobo starting in 1990, Bisley left the character he shied away from the spotlight of the comic book world for a little while. Okay, interesting. I'm, I'm on board. I'm, I'm into it. All right. Became a recluse, kind of like Alan Moore or one of those guys that just mm-hmm. kind of disappears. But now he's back working with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles creator Kevin Eastman on the Melting Pot miniseries for Kitchen Sink Press, as we talked about in this contest that we just discussed a minute ago. Now, the Melting Pot was a comic series that was promoted by Mirage Studios Comics way back in 1989. 
but is finally seeing the light of day in a four-issue release in 1993 and 94. Interesting to note, in 2007, Eastman published a new version of the story with an expanded narrative and new artwork. Okay, that's kind of cool. Interesting. I mean, that they like went back and brought it back to life. Yeah, still and, working on it. Yeah, I guess so, you know. Art is never finished, I guess you could say. We get into the nitty-gritty of Beasley's day-to-day art, his relationship with Kevin Eastman, and one of the more controversial moments in Lobo's history, the penis painted on his arm on the cover of Lobo's back number two. I never knew of this cover before. Yeah. I could have got I could have gone my whole life without knowing about the penis painted on Lobo's arm. But well, okay, it's, it's in the magazine. If you re- if you're really curious, you can look at it and decide whether or not it's a penis. It's almost like the penis on the cover of the Little Mermaid VHS. <laughs> you're like, is that well, a penis? I, <laughs> yeah, I, I've 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 heard of that uh, you know analogy before many times. <laughs> Beasley says, it wasn't a penis. It's not a tumor. (laughs) It was just a fold in his elbow on the back of his arm. Okay, sure. And it just so happened to look like a penis. (laughs) Great. Wonderful. (laughs) Oh, comics. There's a picture in the magazine, and you can judge for yourself. All right. I'm going to look at this. He takes some credit for Lobo's success. Though, and admits, we were subconsciously pushing Lobo as far as we could to discuss the readership. <laughs> they really wanted to make the, the readers disgusted? Okay. But it wasn't and, a penis. It, yeah, sure. And worry and shock. At the end of the day, though, all that's going to do is kill the character. You have to kill it because you've just gone overboard. So... All right. What's your thoughts on Lobo personally? I don't like Lobo at all. I've never liked uh, Lobo. I thought he was, you know, th- that whole badass uh, period in the 90s, uh, the almost like the attitude era of wrestling, you know, Lobo, Punisher, mm-hmm. Ghost Rider, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. It just it never interested me. So I, too, don't like Lobo. And he's another character that when... When Joe listens to this, he's going to kill me because he loves Lobo, but he also loves that era of the wrestling world as well. Um, yeah, it's a penis. <laughs> it's a penis. Yeah, page 76, yeah. Yeah, it's a penis. I don't know. Like, I think Lobo was one of those characters that it was it made sense in its time, but it doesn't resonate to today, and they've tried to redo him many times ever since. Now they have a female version of Lobo in the comics right now. Oh, do they? Yeah, uh, they had a, a young Lobo at one point in the New 52 because they, they didn't know what to do with that character. The only time I actually enjoyed him is in the Superman animated series and the couple of episodes that he was on battling Superman. I remember that. And I was gonna, I was going to ask about that because I wasn't sure if he was on Batman, the animated series or Superman, the animated series. It was Superman, the animated series. Yeah. And did they bring him into Justice League as well? Because I remember, wasn't there like an action figure based on the. I'm pretty sure he popped up into Justice League okay. Unlimited at one point. OK. Sure. Yeah. That's all, not... that's all I got to say about Lobo, though. <laughs> so anyway, now on to our second cover story, The Magnificent Seven. Arthur Adams, John Byrne, Paul Chadwick, Jeff Darrow, 
Dave Gibbons, Mike Mignola, and Frank Miller forge new ground with their legend imprint. So this new creator-owned imprint under the Dark Horse Blanket is being co-run by John Byrne and Frank Miller. Byrne jokingly refers to the two as Power Madden Dictators. Uh, The seeds of legend date back to 1991 when it was being discussed under the name Dinosaur, but it took until 1994 for it to really take shape. To quote Byrne, Frank and I came up with the name legend because it sounds pretentious. (laughs) Okay. Okay. At least they're not hiding anything. Byrne's really playing that character that he likes to play. I don't know if it's the real thing or if if it's a character, but whatever it is. Uh, So Wizard notes, what is perhaps most surprising about the whole undertaking is that Bernard Miller have always seemed to revel in sniping at each other through the media, giving the public the impression that they dislike one another. For example, Byrne criticized Miller's award-winning Batman The Dark Knight Returns, suggesting that Miller had tried to emulate the story in Watchmen. Nowadays, though, both chuckle about how their relationship is perceived and say that the perception is very far from the truth. Because in the last issue, we had John Byrne kind of insulting Todd McFarlane, if you remember. I do remember, yes. Going after him. And now he's saying that a lot of his you know, kind of beef with Frank Miller was just for show. I also wonder if, you know, you made an interesting point moments ago with regards to wrestling. Like, is if certain people are trying to play the heel just for fun? Yeah. I I mean, you know, it was a small pool back then. I feel like people could get away with being like that. So, yeah, I don't know. So what makes legend different from image? According to Mike Mignola, you won't see John or myself hire somebody to draw like us to do the book. Ooh, sniping an, an image there. Uh, so what's everyone working on in this Magnificent Seven, as they say? Uh, Frank Miller seems to be the busiest. He's in the middle of his six-issue Sin City, A Dame to Kill For storyline. Miller and Gibbons are reuniting to continue the adventures of the heroine of Give Me Liberty in Martha Washington Goes to War. Uh, Miller is also collaborating with Jeff Darrow on The Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. According to Miller, the big guy is a government agent who is something of a one-man desert storm. Rusty is his free-thinking robot sidekick who is a gift from the Japanese government for saving Tokyo. Essentially, it's exactly what it sounds like, adventure stuff that kids can enjoy. Uh, Paul Chadwick, who got to start penciling Dazzler comics in the 1980s, has been working on Concrete. Uh, The character was Ron Lithgow, a senatorial speechwriter, before his brain was transplanted by aliens into a rock-like body. Uh, So this character debuted in Dark Horse Presents number one way back in 1986 and won Eisner Awards in 1988 and 1989, as well as two Harvey Awards in 1989. Do you know Concrete at all, Michael? Are you familiar with Concrete? No. He almost has a Swamp Thing quality to him. I I guess so, yeah. Who is this one character that kind of looks like like a grown-up Bucky Barnes? I don't know. Let's see. Hold on. Wait a minute. Okay. All right. I know. So the reason why I bring this character up is a few years ago through uh, an independent company, a comic book character came out called Liberty, a female version wearing the exact same costume as this, who she essentially can't die. And she was born or grew up during the time of the Revolutionary War and has, has since lived throughout all of the entire history of the United States mm-hmm. and like secretly fights crime in the exact same costume. And I think there's a part of it where it says that like 
she got her powers from somebody else who was also known as Liberty or something like that. Okay, it was a really yeah. good book. I really liked it a lot, and it only ran for like three or four issues. So very, very good. So, it was Torch of Liberty. That's the character's name. Then that's who the version that I remember is a female version of it. I think so. So there you go. So. It, speaking of Torch of Liberty, John Byrne is working on Danger Unlimited, as well as John Byrne's Next Men, which we covered in the past issues because it sounded too much like X-Men. There's some talk of the Legend books being their own shared universe with Frank Miller saying, we don't need no stinking universes. But there are three books that do share a universe, Byrne's Danger Unlimited, Art Adams' Monkey Man and O'Brien. I don't know. And finally, Mike Mignola's Hellboy. Uh, Mignola describes Hellboy as... And finally, Mike Mignola's Hellboy... Mignola describes Hellboy as a really good guy who investigates monsters and just happens to look like the devil. Uh, He says the character started out as sketches that he would draw at comic book conventions, and eventually he decided to flesh him out as a paranormal investigator who was himself a paranormal creature. While Mignola is doing the plots, Byrne is writing the scripts. I never realized that Byrne was writing the scripts for Hellboy, even though we did say it like two issues ago. Again, things pop in and out of my brain. I forget half the time, so... You probably said it, and I forgot. So it, it, yeah, it was in like that preview issue that it, Wizard number twenty nine. We talked about John. Oh Burnett. yeah, okay. So anyway, what's next for Legend? Licensing. While Image Comics lets the creators handle their properties, with Legend ninety percent of it is handled through Dark Horse. Paul Chadwick has co-written a screenplay with Larry Wilson for a film of Concrete, uh, and Adams is negotiating for an animated series. Uh, what's interesting here is that no one mentions the possibility of Hellboy expanding into other mediums. And he's like the biggest character to come out he's, of Legend. He's their major character. Like he is their their big name. <laughs> so, know. yeah, I, you know, so I, I guess like what I'm asking is final thoughts on Legend here, Michael, as you peer at this three page cover with no one that you recognize. So if I have to say, you know, a, a couple of thoughts, I am interested in the the giant gorilla in a suit character that's kind of cool okay uh, the the two twins with the handgun is kind of interesting the the giant alien head looks kind of familiar it and, looks like uh, modok yes it looks like modok that's what i'm thinking of yeah it looks like modok and you know other than that i don't have a a real thought on concrete or any of the other people which one is is martha washington she is uh, on the first page. She has like the short bleach blonde haircut. She's With wearing the machine a gun? t-shirt. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And there's like a weird doctor, evil doctor looming Looks, over her. And... With like skeleton hands. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on here. But so I'll, I'll say one thing, you know, showcasing these particular characters is better than what they tried to do with young blood where they threw us you know 55 characters in the first issue that all look the exact same you can't figure out who they are so at least these ones all have different looks to them which is kind of cool they're distinct they're definitely distinct uh and you know reading this article made me want to pick up some issues of concrete um (laughs) just because of you know all the awards it won and how well regarded it is it sounds like it'd be interesting so I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, may, maybe what we'll do, and we'll we'll ask Adam when he returns from hiatus if we want to do a like concrete number one for a, a Robin's Reading Rainbow series. Ooh, there you go. 
I'm I'm game for for one issue. I'll give I'll give it a, I'll give it a whirl. So. <laughs> <laughs> the next segment we have is Dragon Slayer. Image creator Eric Larson talks of good writing, bad writing, and what's in store for his corner of comics in '94. As the title would suggest, this is a lengthy chat with Eric Larson. He spends a good deal of the opening defending critics of Image, but then delves into his own journey into the industry. He says, as a kid, he put together his own comics, and at age 19, he self-published a fanzine. In 1982, in a comic called Megaton, he created the Savage Dragon and other characters. That's interesting. That's kind of cool. After stints with both Marvel and DC, Larson is now completely focused on Savage Dragon, a book which he writes, pencils, and inks. The, the, the dragon is a police officer who doesn't know why he has green skin and a fin on top of his head. Okay. I have never read a single issue of Savage Dragon. I know of the character. I've known of the character for forever, just because I've always seen it. I do not know why the character is a dragon or has a green skin or, or a fin in his head. Do you know the answer to this question? I know none of these answers. I have read issues of Savage Dragon. Like, okay. I picked them up in the 90s. I cannot tell you what the cover looked like. You know, I have no I, memory I, of, of I know of one cover that I've seen of Savage Dragon that stuck in my head. It's like a side profile. His head almost seems the entire, you know, page. And it's just the big fin. And he's got like his policeman's shirt over him. And that's it. And it's a red background behind him. Okay. Yeah. That's I, all I got. We're, we're really nailing this issue. Yeah. <laughs> we know none of these characters. Right. Like, th this is why I guess it's, you know, Kennedy's Revenge. Because... Don't know what's going on. I haven't heard one reference to anything even close to Marvel or DC, other than the fact that possibly Punisher and Batman might cross over. But it's a lie. It's not true. But yet it is true and whatever. And, you know, there's a Spawn Batman crossover coming in the year as well, which is another thing. Which sure well, we got uh, we got some Lobo. Yeah, so, no one cares about Lobo. No one gives <laughs> no one a darn about Lobo. Nobody does. So here's some controversy in this article. Many fans noticed Larson's absence from Death Mate. In 1993's Image and Valiant crossover miniseries, which we talked about here in this podcast and on YouTube and too much, to be, asked, to be honest with you, the creator says he wanted no part of it. I don't really like Valiant comics, Larson states plainly. I've tried to keep an eye on Valiant stuff, but for the most part, I find the characters are poorly designed, and it really just didn't hold my interest at all. If I was to do a team-up, it would have to be with somebody's work who I like and respect, and they weren't it. Ooh. Man, <laughs> harsh words for Valiant here, Eric Harrison. Woo, that's, that's taking a swing pretty hard. Wow. Nothing. He likes nothing of their work. Nothing. Which, no Solar. Okay. No Turok. You know, I think Solar's a cool looking character. 
I, I don't know much about it. Um, I do like Faith, which is a, uh, a Harbinger character, but she wasn't really that prominent until the recent years when they relaunched Valiant and they gave her her own book. But beyond that, I really don't know any Valiant titles to be, to be other than Ninjak, which everybody knows. What about Magnus? You miss that every time. Magnus <sighs> Robot Fighter. I intentionally try to wash that from my brain every time we do this podcast because I hate that character so much. It's so you know, like the red shorts. Oh, it's so stupid. It's not even shorts. He's like wearing a long shirt with a belt. <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing like a nineteen like a nineteen ten swimsuit. Yes. It's like a moo-moo with a belt on it. <laughs> so Larson says, though he is open to Savage Dragon crossing over with other characters and creators, he says that Jim Lee wants to use the character and he talked to Todd McFarlane about using him in Spawn. This crossover did in fact happen in Savage Dragon number 30, but check this out. Larson is planning a crossover of sorts, but not with another company's character. In Savage Dragon number 10, the dragon teams up with a character some kid sent in. We had a contest which generated more mail than Santa Claus, he chuckles. The winner's character gets to appear in Dragon number 10. They got to keep the copyright, and I'm giving them the original art to the cover and signed copies of the book. The character was created by Adam Pope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So Stephen looked it up because he's he's courteous like that. The character is named Jimbo the Mighty Lobster. Okay. He's like Popeye with lobster claws. Okay, cool. He was created by Jason Merritt who still owns the copyright to the character to this day. <laughs> this is so crazy. I looked it up because I couldn't believe it. And the way he just sells it, he has some kid sent in an idea. Who the hell knows who it is? <laughs> and sure enough, on the cover, you know, Savage Dragon is ba- is battling Jimbo the Mighty Lobster, <laughs> who's this muscular lobster guy with these big claws. <laughs> and and I believe that's the only appearance... Jason Merritt has never written anything else in the comic book industry. This is the only character that he owns, and it's in Savage Dragon number 10. Very strange. We're going to have to post a picture of this on our social media. And, you know, maybe we can add this to the Robin's Reading Rainbow, because I am fascinated by this now. <laughs> this is this is, <laughs> this is is really... I'm kind of curious what this book goes for on eBay. Savage Dragon number 10, you said? I'm going to guess five bucks. (laughs) Oh, boy. Not so much. Even less than that. Oh, boy. A graded 9.0, (laughs) $2.50. Are you kidding me? So not rolling in the dough on Jimbo the Lobster Boy. He wasn't able to retire. What was it? Jimbo, what did I call it? The Mighty Lobster. The Mighty Lobster. Jimbo Jimbo the Lobster Boy. No, that's a different guy. (laughs) That's hilarious. Well, I mean, listen, good for Jason Merritt for creating a character that got made into a comic. Like, you know, most kids would have killed to even be able to say that that ever happened. But to keep the copyright this long, (laughs) I mean, I would have tried to sell it at some point. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's cool. It's really cool that they, you know they, they had this contest. And I, if I were this kid, I would have been thrilled. It must have right. been super exciting, like a highlight of his uh, young life. Uh, I just yeah. never knew about it. It was it was kind of cool to read about. Yeah. So, Stephen, what's next? So next is the never ending quest. Richard and Wendy Peeney on why warp wasn't supposed to work. The phenomenon that is ElfQuest and the future of the Wolf Riders. How do you feel about ElfQuest, Michael? This is Kennedy's revenge. Oh, do you want to talk about ElfQuest anymore? Uh, we'll give it a give it like two sentences, and then we're going to move on. I, I want to just hear what the article even says before I veto it immediately. Well, okay. Hold on, let me flip to the page. This, is, excite, this is exciting podcasting. You're sitting there, you're like this. We're supposed to veto this, and now he is making me look for this. No, I'm gonna read the whole article now. I'm gonna pull like a like an Andy Coffin and just read the whole goddamn thing from start to finish. Oh, good. When Elf Quest number one was printed in 1978, Wendy and Richard Peeney were told over and over again that they were doing everything wrong. Elf Quest was the wrong size. Fantasy didn't sell. Self-published books didn't sell. Women artists didn't sell. Black and white didn't sell. We cost too much. And we were only published once every four months. Wendy laughs. We were told repeatedly how we would never survive. Looking back at Warp Graphics in 1978, it was easy to see why people thought the way they did. Oh my God, this just goes on and on about ElfQuest. Okay, I, I, I don't know any. I don't need to know anymore. I don't care anymore. Do you want to I, hear all the characters, like a whole description of all the characters from ElfQuest? No, no, I don't, I don't care. Who was the hot Oh, he kind of looks like Link. I've actually been playing uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, so I can spot a Link lookalike when I see it. Well, which came first, ElfQuest or Link? I mean, ElfQuest, it came out in 1978. Right, yeah. So Link kind of copied off of them then. I don't look at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We've talked about ElfQuest. No, nobody cares. I don't care. It's whatever. I mean, it's interesting that it, that it lasted that long. Uh, is it still around today? I have no idea. Is it around? Do you know? Yeah, it, it, it ended in, 19, in 2018. So I'd call it a big yes. All right. Well, all right. It had a long run. You know, okay. Not bad. Do you know who but, Cutter you know, is? He's the hot-headed visionary chieftain of the forest-dwelling wolf riders. No. I How about Skywise, the sidekick okay. friend, confidant, so the, the next segment we have coming up for the podcast here is Heroes in Motion. <laughs> That's how I feel about ElfQuest. Moving on. By the way, this is kind of a bootleg Heroes in Motion, even in Wizard Magazine, because it's not a full Heroes or like, a, you know, the like the it's Hollywood fairly, Heroes section. It's It's got a decent length of notes here, but all right, we'll see. OK, well, I, I literally printed out the entire <laughs> article. OK, okay. so go, go to page 21 if you want to see what I'm talking about. Oh, God, I gotta get this stupid book. I've opened this book more times than I've opened, you know. This is good. This is good. This is supposed to be my time to shine. This is good radio. 
this is a good radio, kids. You know, <laughs> turn on your radio dials. This thing goes to eleven here. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we have. All right. Okay. Interesting. All right. It's a little blurb. It's about half a page. All right. Okay. Cool. All right. So here we go. All right. Heroes in motion. Interesting to note that the Hollywood beat section is back, but it's only half a page in the regular news section. By the next issue, it would be restored to its full glory. So what's going on here? First, we have Spawn the movie. It's possible. So ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, which if you don't know, who owns ILM? George Lucas. That is right. Has already made some computer animated demonstrations shots of a few of the baddies that have turned up in the Spawn comic book. Supposedly, you can't even tell that the shots are computerized. I find that very hard to believe, 1994. Uh, but ILM also made a 10-second trailer-like animated sequence showing what they can do. Imagine Spawn animated a la Jurassic Park. Okay. Well, we've seen the Spawn movie, and it doesn't look like Jurassic Park, no. first of all. No. <laughs> no, not even close. It barely looks so, like an Asylum release. Yeah. So... The only problem is that movie companies who will back the film just want to license the Spawn characters from McFarlane and make their own movie. McFarlane, on the other hand, wants to do a movie only if it resembles his characters 100%. Then how did the Spawn movie get made? That's a great question. I mean, it took three years after this for it to come out. Three and a half years. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure we'll see it kind of unfold here, but so we've seen the, the Spawn movie. How close does it stick to the comic book? Uh, I don't know. All I do know is that I hated the Violator. I hated John Leguizamo as playing the Violator. Mm -hmm. And then when he does like his more metamorphosis to that like creature, I was so scared I had nightmares for weeks. Whoa. I wasn't. I wasn't afraid of the Spawn character. Uh, I I thought Michael Jai White played a great version of Spawn, and I loved his story in the movie. You know, everyone complains about the cape being looking so CGI and everything, but I, I understood it was kind of like a living kind of entity. It's not going to be a Batman cape that's just like a you know a leather cloak. Um, but as we get to Spawn, which will pop up in. 90 super cinema next year or next month as an option to choose from or a couple of years, <laughs> a couple of months it'll show up. Um, we'll talk much further about it cause it's, it's going to come up at one point. So we'll see. I don't know. Well, who knows anyway. So Batman season two, Batman, the animated series will begin its second season in September of 1994 with 20 original episodes to air. Uh, they include a Batgirl story, an episode called Second Chance, exploring Batman's relationship with Harvey Dent, two Rachel Ghoul stories, and a Bane story. Now, is Second Chance the one where the Mad Hatter, like, puts the card in his head and, like, he, he like, 
sees what his life would have been like if his parents had lived? No, that's per chance to dream. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Second chance is a two-face uh, Bruce Wayne storyline. If I'm not mistaken, does Two-Face get plastic surgery in that one? Like he, like like Bruce Wayne pays to fix his face, but he still goes crazy? Something like that. No, isn't isn't that wasn't that a a movie? Like one of those like um Oh wait, that was Dark Knight Returns, wasn't it? I thought the Harvey Dent thing happened in another No, it's point true where that, he... that is the episode where he gets Oh, it is. It? Yep. Okay. But he still goes crazy anyway and he reverts himself back. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the one. I, you know, the Bane story was a big deal. It came not too long after uh yeah. you know, Nightfall. And recently I was going through some old tapes that I have and I have that one on tape from when it aired. So I was oh, super really? excited about it. Yeah. It's a really good episode. So, I have a I have a Harvey Dent question for you okay favorite harvey dent two-face story in the comics or 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 animated series or Mm -hmm. movies or whatever you know actually it's funny i just showed my daughter the two-face episode of batman the animated series Mm -hmm. and i loved that as a kid especially part one more than part two just the way it sets up the psychology of harvey dent Mm mm-hmm and the fact that he is two-faced before the accident, essentially. Right. Uh, Secret Origin Special number one. It's a kind of origin of Riddler, Penguin, and Two-Face. Mm-hmm. And Two-Face has that, you know, that classic 80s costume with the orange yeah. uh, suit and the green face. Uh, that one just struck me as a kid. I just love that single issue. How about yourself? So I, too, love the animated series, you know, the Harvey Dent becoming Two-Face two-episode thing. That was really, really good. But did you, you read Long Halloween, right? I did. I love the telling of how Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face in Long Halloween. And now his wife is also kind of a psychopath as well. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love that, like element in that book it's one of my favorite things about long halloween is that story it, that whole thing was really really well done and i and i wish they would have played more into that in future things as well that they she's just crazy yeah and like the trifecta of uh gordon batman and harvey dent yeah uh which was played up in the in the dark night I, yes. I really like the way their relationship developed in that and I, you know I'm not going to go into the Dark Knight. I have. It's a great movie. There's a lot of things that were flawed about that movie. The way they did Two Face is un- un- underwhelming. Even mm. though it's so horrific how his face looks, they just they didn't showcase that he was a nutcase beforehand. Like there's only that one moment where he's like in the alley with a yeah. with a thug interrogating him, but you don't see him crazy otherwise. Like you don't see him ha- have that turn. Where did you see The Dark Knight? What movie the theater? theater? What what movie uh, theater? Where did I see it? Um, probably in the AMC on 68th Street or uh, in... Uh, Lincoln Center Lincoln one? Center? Yeah. Okay. I went to Union Square the night that it opened, and it was a madhouse. Yeah. I mean, I went with a bunch of people, and we were all separated into like different groups. 
so we didn't even see the movie in the same theater. But man, <laughs> what an experience that was. It was quite a movie. I saw that twice in the theaters, that movie. And I saw it again in Island 16 in Holtzville, Long Island. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's a great movie. Again, we're not going to go into it because it's way outside the timeline here. But there's a lot of flaws to it where I think story-wise, Batman Begins is a better movie. It's a more cohesive story. Okay. Less plot holes. I can see that, but I really love Dark Knight. It just has yes. like a spirit to it. It does. It has it's it's its own kind of thing. It's probably the only superhero film that you could take Batman out of it and it's still a great movie. Because sure. it's a good crime drama, you know, like it's yeah. a good thriller, mystery drama type of thing. I don't know. Here's a nerdy thing that I did in regards okay. to Dark Knight. One of the many nerdy things I did. My friends and I had just moved to Los Angeles uh, when the DVD was coming out, and we waited in line at Best Buy in Burbank at midnight to get the DVD and Blu-ray. <laughs> so, did you buy we, the hard case Blu-ray? I think we all bought something different at the time. I just bought the DVD. So I have the aluminum hard case of it, like collector's edition aluminum case. Yeah. It's, it's pointless, but it was, you know, $35 or some stupid thing <laughs> like that. It's bulletproof, so. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. That's Batman, the animated series season two, and our tangent about the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Uh, the next report is called The Mask Report. The Mask is due to open in August. The film stars in living colors Jim Carrey as Stanley Ipkiss, a bank clerk who's Fortunes change dramatically when he discovers an ancient mask which gives the wearer incredible powers. Based on the Dark Horse comic, The Mask is a fantasy adventure picture which will again put the computer animators at ILM to the test. Okay, so there's some images of this particular thing about the mask in this thing. What do you think of it? Because we've both seen the movie, and you know, I've yeah. seen it a million times. So, uh, the first thing I gotta say is, hold on, to get there. I just closed the stupid book. What you said it was 27, 28? 21. 21, Okay. All right. So the images you see first here are a little bit frightening. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's got like Jim Carrey has like this horse face and his long extended tongue is coming out. Yeah. All foldy. Um, these are definitely early renderings for sure. Mm hmm. Well, the mask look, looks nothing like Jim Carrey. And when when he's in the movie, the mask is mostly makeup. I mean, unless yes. he's doing some crazy trick when he's wearing the mask, it's a it's a makeup effect. Yeah. Um, what's your thoughts on the mask? Um, I, so I was super excited when I saw these images. I like these images are burned in my brain from reading this wizard. Really? Um, I was a big Jim Carrey fan from in living color. Uh, Me and too. I, was, Me I, was, too. I loved in living color. Oh, it was so funny. And I thought, it, you know, it was exciting that he was going to be in a comic book movie. This was right around the time that Ace Ventura broke. Yes. And became a kind of surprise hit. Uh, and so I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the mask came out even earlier than August. It's saying August here. 
I think I they bumped it. Like, yeah, I think it was July. July and I, they, I think they bumped it up to kind of capitalize on the success of Ace Ventura. And then later that year, he also had Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, this was a big year for Jim Carrey. Like this was this was probably, you know, if someone could say that they burned really hot and went <laughs> way up real high, that was Jim Carrey in this year. And you know, then he did some dips, and then he shot back up again, and so on and so forth. But this was a massive year for him. And you know, if I had to rank those three movies in in order of which I think is best to worst, I'd say Dumb and Dumber is my favorite of those yep. three. Oh my god! And so I totally agree. Then Ace Ventura, then The Mask. Um, I do think The Mask is a great, like, dark comedy, comic booky kind of movie. But there are certain things, in particular, like the villain of the movie falls a little flat for me. Peter Green's character. Yeah, I forget what his name is in the movie or what his com- what the villain's name is. But and this was also, I think, Cameron Diaz's first major role. It was, yes. And I thought she was really good in this too. And I don't know. I wanted there to be more with that movie, and I and I liked it a lot at, at the time. I think my mother wasn't prepared to see how like it was going to be so like sexualized at times and everything. Yeah, my that's favorite, moments, yeah. My favorite thing about the movie is the dog, though. <laughs> Milo, the dog is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> the, the dog became like that kind of the selling tool for a lot of things. It's even on the VHS cover, you've got the is dog. It the same dog that was in Frasier, maybe. Was he Eddie from Frasier? I think he was. <laughs> I think it was the same dog. That dog's a famous dog. Milo <laughs> so, the Mask. So that is our Heroes in Motion for March of 1994. Not a lot, but I mean, let's put it this way. Everything they kind of put out did actually happen or come out, which is which is pretty rare for them. <laughs> a lot of times they, they are big swings and a miss. <laughs> Very unusual. Very unusual. So next we have Azrael's action figure Fury. As we mentioned last month, there are new figures coming out in the Batman the Animated Series line, as well as the Alien and Predator lines. So we get nice photos of both of them in this issue. From Batman the Animated Series, we get a look at Mr. Freeze, Poison Ivy, Killer Croc, Clayface, and a Dick Grayson, uh, Robin, uh, as well as several Batman suit variations. Uh, Do any of these stick out as a favorite to you there, Michael? I was always a big fan of any action figures of mr freeze okay i'll tell you what because they were not very common but every one becomes kind of iconic in a way in the in the look of the character as an action figure the superpowers slash dc superheroes one i think every kid had that oh i had that one and it had the little little freeze guns that kind of stuck out of his hips and i used to chew on them and pull them out (laughs) (laughs) well and if you froze him his uh his face turned blue Yes, which was awesome. It was so cool. Yep. It was very, very cool. I do have a couple of the Batman action figures from the animated series as well. 
and I have them somewhere around. Grace mm-hmm. has been playing them recently. I didn't have any other figures. I have been recently collecting the the newer runs of the animated series figures, sure. which are pretty cool, and I like those a lot. But yeah, those are awesome. Yeah. Uh, from this particular uh, set, I really like the Dick Grayson Robin. Yeah, it was a great good. figure. In in general, my favorite figures from the Batman the Animated Series line were Riddler and Two Face. Uh, that Two Face design was just so good. I think you know? I have the Riddler actually. I do have the Riddler too. That's a great figure. It's a great yeah. figure. Uh, so yeah, I mean those. You know, it was a great uh, toy line. And so the article mentions that the Poison Ivy figure in the photo appears to be a repainted Superpowers Wonder Woman. But the speculation is that they just didn't have enough time to do a proper mold for Poison Ivy before the press photos. And sure enough, when when the Poison Ivy toy does come out, it's an original sculpt. It's not a repainted Wonder Woman. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. Like, I agree with you. You know, the Riddler figure is very cool. I also think that this is one of the best versions of Riddler is the animated series version. He's great. And John Glover voices him. and. Yeah. It took a while for the Riddler to come into the show. He was, you know, the Riddler is one of the more famous Batman villains. Yeah. And it took 30 or 40 episodes before John Glover's Riddler showed up. And Riddler is my favorite villain. So I was waiting every promo. I I was like, okay, where's Riddler? Where's Riddler? Where's Riddler? (laughs) And it takes forever. I mean, you know, it it does. Yeah. But I mean, he's a very good character and he's very well done in the animated series. Probably, I think the best he's done is in the animated series. Interesting. I would still say Frank Gorshin is. (laughs) It's a a very different Riddler, though. It is. Very different Riddler. It is. I mean, and John Glover is such a good actor. I love him in Gremlins 2, the new batch. So when I saw that he was doing the voice as a kid, I was like, oh my God, it's the guy from Gremlins 2. (laughs) This is exciting. Yeah, and, and so the first episode is um, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Mm-hmm. Where, where he like puts Batman and Robin in this kind of maze puzzle thing. It's really cool. Yeah. Oh, the maze where they fly on the on the deck of cards mm-hmm. through the thing. Yeah, and like Batman doesn't he hack the cards with a with a battering and like slices into it. That's also one that I have on tape from when <laughs> it aired because I made sure that I taped that one. You know, uh, they have this thing called DVDs. Okay, okay. I know. And now it's on HBO Max, and I've been watching those as well. But there's something about, you know, I've got, like, the original bumpers that say Batman, the animated series. I'm sure you were watching on Fox 5, so you know what I'm talking about. I was. Oh, my God. I watched that show religiously. Yeah. Religiously. Also of note is the entry for a new contest where you can create your own action figure scenarios. Uh, They show one fan's recreation of the death of Mr. Fantastic and another highlighting a showdown between Green Lantern and Solar. Okay, cool. Uh, So get cracking, Wizard fans. The entry deadline is April 15th, 1994. Now, here's the problem with that. Email's not really a thing back then. No. And if this magazine came out in March, figure by the time somebody read this, drew the character or whatever or something, or created their own action figure, how are they going to get the picture to them in time for the, you know, for March 15th, for April 15th? I don't know that's going to happen. Well, here's the thing. Here's something you should know about cover dates. Give you a little bit of uh, knowledge here. It says March of 1994. This actually hit the stands on February 1st, 1994. So the the stores would know that 
in March you take it off the shelf. Is that why they did that? Yeah. It was like a take it off the shelf in March kind of thing. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. They have to send them back with the ripped covers. They tear off Uh, the covers. Okay. All right. Well, maybe they had a little bit of time then. All right. Fine. (laughs) It's it's still a tight deadline to pull pull you know, to pull this together. Yeah. Because, again, you know, you got to take a picture, get that photo developed unless you have a Polaroid. And they don't accept Polaroids. They've said they said that many times in Wizard. We do not accept Polaroids. <laughs> so you so you have to photograph it, get through the entire like thirty two images of a yep. photo roll, yeah. go to the place, the one hour photo, get it printed, hope that it looks good. Exactly. <laughs> then choose the best one, put it in an envelope, mail it to <laughs> to Wizard uh-huh. from from wherever you live, and hope that it gets it there. Nova Scotia, Canada, for a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah, oh man, what a different time! Like, you know, our, our kids nowadays they yell if there's an advertisement between one of their like you know mm-hmm. d- cartoon shows they're watching. I'm like, dude, if you only knew, if you only knew yeah. what life was like. Or like, you know, now there's Amazon and eBay, and you could order things you want online. Do you remember just having to go if you wanted a specific action figure? You would have to go to the store. So many times just to find it and never and half the time never found the one no, you were looking. For. No. And so, yeah. And like then you'd hear a kid. Oh, I got this toy. And you're like, mm. God damn it. He I got that. Kid. He got the Tackleberry figure from the police academy line. I'm looking for Tackleberry. Tackleberry's in the shelves and I can't get them. <laughs> oh, I had the. Pl- I had uh, this. Uh, um, Steve Gutenberg. uh Mahoney? Yeah, oh, I had Mahoney, and I had um, I had Hightower, mm-hmm. but I didn't have Tackleberry. Oh, wait, no. Did he have the motorcycle helmet on? He did. I did have that figure. Tackleberry. They had I Jones, had Tackleberry. Tackleberry uh, Zed. I didn't have Jones. Jones I didn't have. That's why I didn't oh, have. He had the bullhorn. Yes. Yeah. There was a, I know we're going off on a tangent. There was a mail away for a Commandant Lassard figure. So here's the crazy thing about the Police Academy toy line. And this is a total tangent for this show. There was a mail-away figure for Captain Harris, mm-hmm. who was like, you know, kind of the villain of the films. It's very rare. And kids in my school mailed away for Captain Harris. And instead of getting Captain Harris, one kid got Sweet Chuck, one kid got <laughs> House, and nobody got Captain Harris because they ran out of Captain Harris and they were just giving you what came out from, you know, line two but the cartoon was a bomb the toys didn't sell well so they never released series two and so now all those mail away figures are worth a ton of money no way yeah like i'm looking at harris right now on ebay he's going for eight hundred dollars oh my god are you for real that's yeah wow 700 bucks and someone's got to lose for 75 or best offer that's actually not that bad that's it i'm buying it don't do it. Don't do it. Don't try to tell your wife. Oh, yeah. I ordered a police academy action picture. <laughs> it's Captain Harris, sweetie. It's a mail away. Come on. It was rare. Sweet Chuck. Oh, my God. Somebody's selling the Sweet Chuck prototype for $3,500. Wow. That's wild. And then just the regular figures going for 100 My neighbor had that one, and he kept it in the box. I was very jealous. Probably goes for a lot yeah. now. Yeah, I def I had Tackleberry and I had 
Mahoney. That's what I had. Those are the only two that I had. There you go. I don't know how the hell we ended up on Police Academy, but here we are. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, my God. So, okay. That is our action figure fury for this month. Next, we have Gambit's deck of cards. Friedlander is releasing a Ken Kelly fantasy art set in February. Try saying that five times fast. (laughs) The River Group is releasing a Defiant Universe art collection. February will see the release of not only a Defiant Universe card set, but also a Ken Kelly fantasy art set and a... 110 card Doctor Who collection. Wow. If they did a Doctor Who collection now, it would be like 402, 410 mm-hmm. cards. There's so many Doctor Who things nowadays in comparison to then. Who's big? And I'm not a Who fan. Like, I never, I've never watched an episode. I sometimes watch like the 70s and 80s ones on Pluto TV and I fall asleep to it. There's just something comforting about that low budget video <laughs> style. Something comforting. It nestles you in, it just nestles. keeps you warm. It's just quiet. I just, I just pop on Seinfeld to go to sleep. So mm. I, I, I hear Seinfeld in my dreams now. So. <laughs> Why are you dreaming of yourself being naked in a supermarket? <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there. I don't know. Okay. So whew, Serenity now. The big news in Market Watch is comic cards plummeting. Whoa. Okay. Mm. Many comic related sets continue to sink lower and lower in value. Okay. I I could see that happening at the time. These sets include Malibu Ultraverse, DC Cosmic Teams, DC Cosmic Cards, Plasm, Valiant Error. And Valiant Deathman. Many people wanted high-quality, UV-coated, foil-stamped cards and limited production. All for the low price, and the companies couldn't meet the criteria. You know, uh, it's funny. We recently did a Patreon where we pulled out some cards, and since then I found all of my superhero and movie cards, mm-hmm. none of them are worth anything. <laughs> none of them are worth worth the paper they were printed on. So they burn bright and they burned fast. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've literally thought about taking all my baseball cards and just going to the local comic book shop or card store and be like, "Here, just give me whatever you want. Twenty five bucks. Just get them out of my house. Yeah. Give them somebody else's. You know." It's one of those things where I like, I don't need them. I I don't care about them. But Mm -hmm. if they'll make somebody else happy and give somebody else some sort of joy. Yeah. Then take them off my hands and find a home where they'll value. That's why I sold so many of my Funko Pops. Because I'm like, I had so many of them that I wasn't even remembering which ones I had half the time. Wow. And I I was like, you know what? Let me sell them off. Make somebody else happy they have it. 
and let them build a collection of they don't need in 10 years. <laughs> it's, all, it's all, you know, we love this stuff. We love this that we don't need. Exactly. So, so let's see what's next. What do you got for us? Speaking of we don't need, it's Jim and Todd's hype machine. Best transition of the night right there. <laughs> So I counted this, and I think I did it right. I got five and five. We got a tie. Oh, yeah. We got a tie, right, right. tie ball game here. So Jim got five. Todd got five. Let's move on. So there's a new section <laughs> in Wizard this month. It's the top ten heroes and villains of the month. I'm assuming we'll cover this on the half issue. Yeah, we'll do that in the half issue. Okay, but just look out for that. So now we've got another interview with... Peter David. Yes. So here's something interesting about this. What I remember about this particular interview uh, and why I remember it so well. At one point I was in an acting class in like seventh or eighth grade Mm -hmm. and a guy came in to play the piano and I turned to my friend and I said, man, that guy looks just like Peter David. And he said, who the hell is Peter David? (laughs) So clearly I was reading Wizard too much if I recognized Peter David by face. <laughs> so, yeah, you know what? I'm going to I think this is a fun little game that we can do okay. uh, in the Wizard profile. I'm going to ask you some of the questions just randomly. OK. All right. Uh, what is the first comic book that you read? Like full size actual comic that was bought on a newsstand or something else? Whatever you want. It just says first comic book read. There was a series of mini comics, like there are Marvel books, like Spider-Man, Captain America, Wolverine, that came in cereal boxes. Okay, there you and go. Those, those are the first ones I ever read. Uh, I may have them still somewhere, I don't know. Favorite munchie at 2 a.m.? Nowadays or then? Nowadays. I like lentil chips and hummus. Okay. <laughs> Back then, it was probably Oreos. Uh, finally, who would play you in a movie about yourself? Bruce Willis. Ooh, that's a good one. All right. So that was uh, Michael's wizard profile. <laughs> what about you? What about your answers? For oh, I, for these questions? Uh, first comic book read, it was a Batman issue with Magpie on the cover. <laughs> from like okay from from when uh when were they killing off uh jason todd that was like 86 87 just after crisis okay so yeah it was from around that time what was the other one i asked you uh favorite munchie at 2 a.m probably peanut butter on toast little, <laughs> little peter pan smeared on some toast <laughs> little skippy yeah there you go uh and then who would play you in a movie about yourself jason schwartzman yeah, that's a home run for short, you. Short nerd, come on. There you go. You know who could also play you is um, what's his name from Freaks and Geeks? Uh, he was also in on Silicon Valley. Uh, Martin Mount, Star. Martin Star. I love he could Martin play Star. You. I he love definitely... Freaks and Geeks. That's one of my favorite shows like ever made. I've been rewatching it recently. I'm like, wow, this show was. It's literally, even though the show takes place in the 80s, it is my high school experience. Almost pulled from the pages of my mind. Yeah, it's it's perfect. It's a perfect show. And now to 
bring this show nearing its conclusion, we have tonight's top 10 list. says top 10 ways to tell if you're a fanboy okay so number 10 your face looks like the flip side of a nestle crunch bar hey man you can't judge people by their acne give them a break come on this is definitely this is definitely accurate for me when i was reading wizard uh (laughs) number nine you think frank miller draws like jim lee all right then you're an idiot then you're an idiot. You're not a fanboy. <laughs> not even close. Your last name is Seamus. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Poke fun of the boss. Number seven. You've worn your Lobo t-shirt six days in a row. Ooh. I guess I'm not on the on the top ten fanboy list because I would have never worn a Lobo t-shirt. No. I might have worn a Batman t-shirt six days in a row. Sure, but not a Lobo t-shirt. Okay. Number six, you think the king is that bloated dead singer from Memphis. Okay. Why would that not make you a fanboy? Well, because the king. Sense. The yeah, king is Elvis. Talk about Elvis. Like, you know, Elvis had tons of fanboys. Yeah, because it should say, you know, the king is Jack Kirby, whatever. Number five, you're still pretty PO'd that Power Pack was canceled. No one cared. No one was a fanboy so too bad that's true number four you end your sentences with bub yes i could i know people that do that so yes do you bub i do Uh, number three your last book report was on the shadowhawk trade paperback if you're if anyone reading if anyone listening wrote a book report on shadowhawk please let us know please please and I want to know the wedgies you got. <laughs> like, I, like I, I don't know. I could never, like, I couldn't even talk about comics at school. I was, like, so afraid. Movies, sure. Comics, I could never do it. I was so afraid of the torture and abuse I would get from bullies. Yeah. It was like, there was no way. There was absolutely no way. I, I I did talk about my comics love, and I still got made fun of. But it was just you know, I was so I, low on the totem pole; it didn't really matter. <laughs> I was like, all right. I legitimately never, ever, ever, after probably like third grade, never again wore a superhero anything to school. What? That's never, all I wore. Never once. Okay. I wore like boring, plain, like polo shirts <laughs> forever. <laughs> and like t shirts or like Adidas or something like that. Yeah. Because I was so afraid to wear anything comic book related because I knew I would get abused and tortured and just wouldn't do it. 
Well, you're oh, safe so, here now. This is yes, your safe that, space. This is a safe space, yes. Actually, funny enough, a year ago, I ran into somebody who I saw at a restaurant, just as like maybe July during, you know, the when things were finally opening up for outdoor dining. Mm-hmm. And this girl I went to high school with came up to me and was like, oh, it's such a shame that we couldn't have our 20th high school reunion this year. Oh, what a bummer. Well, but it'll be so awesome. We'll have it even bigger and better in 2021. I can't wait to see everybody there. And I'm like, I, I looked at her and I said, this is about as close as a high school reunion as I'm going to get to. <laughs> Period. And she walked away. <laughs> it's like, peace. I'm like, you don't even know my name, so yeah. good luck. <laughs> They're holding on to that one. That's not the uh, best luck. Exactly. So number two, you know how to spell shy and quits without checking first. It's Sinkevitz. <laughs> okay. Well, Bill Sinkevitz. Well, great. But I like. I like. I think we should keep this all in. It's too good. Oh, I'm keeping this all in. This is uncut. Good. And number one, you're holding this copy of Wizard in your hands, which both of us are doing. So we are fanboys. We are. We are, which is, you know, a little little interesting. That pretty much wraps up for issue 31 of Wizard. And whatever Kennedy's Revenge was supposed to be. I hope it was enjoyable. It was a little bit off the rails, maybe a lot off the rails. Not as much Long Island talk as I thought it was going to be. But, you know, (laughs) it it was definitely kind of liberating, if you will, to just, like, let it fly, I guess. The problem with this particular issue, in my opinion, was there wasn't enough stuff that I really gave a about. So, so, so that's partially why I guess it's kind of fun to let it just, you know, let it go and talk about stuff. But overall, it was pretty cool. And it was fun to just have this conversation and just see where the, the conversation went. But, you know, as always, you can check us out on our social media at Twitter, which is Wizards Comics. On Instagram, Wizards underscore comics. On YouTube, just search for Wizards Comics or Wizards Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We've got some really cool videos coming up, which are going to be a lot of fun. You can also sign up for our Patreon to see and hear episodes like this fully uncensored. Just curses galore and whatever nonsense comes up and things that might have been taken out of the main episode. Mm-hmm. You can hear on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Wizards Comics. You can also go on our Tee Public store and purchase some cool merch. Get a shirt, get a hat, get a mask if you want one. Ooh, fantastic. A thong. There's a thong now. Is there a thong? No, I'm Did... just, just messing around. <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> I hope... If somebody puts my cartoon face on a thong, <laughs> we're, in, we're in for some real problems. <laughs> There's a banana hammock now. There's a cancel culture coming from the Wizard <laughs> podcast real soon. Oh, boy. Don't forget to listen to us on all of our platforms for podcasting, wherever you can find us. And as always, don't forget to keep your books bagged and boarded.
This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.